Hey there, um, my name is Medina Tenor Whiteman, and I'm a writer and a musician, performer, various other things. Um, but I've been thinking about doing podcasts for quite a while, basically because I have a really big mouth and most people are bored of listening to me. So I need to find a new audience. <clears throat> but um, there's something I'd love to talk about and I want to hear what you guys think about it as well which is to do with spirituality and, and how, well, what spirituality actually means. What it, it, does it feel like something? Is it a feeling? Or is it a state? Or is it neither of those things? What is it? This came up for me because I just published an article on my blog, which is cavemom.com. It's called Buddha Would Blow a Fuse Fasting While Parenting. So we're in Ramadan now, and I'm fasting. I started fasting again last year after having my third child so I kind of ducked out of fasting for quite a lot quite a few years with between pregnancy and breastfeeding that was like five years gone so I feel quite uh, fortunate about that <clears throat> either fortunate or cheeky I don't know um but since I've come back to fasting it's a whole new ball game once you've got small children around and I have one small child and the other two are a little bit older. So they're 10, 8 and 3. And um, it's a completely different experience. When you're fasting on your own, you can really go into it. You can nap whenever you like, for one thing, depending on your job. Um, but let's say you, you have a day job, you come home, you can just sleep the rest of the afternoon and wake up right before iftar and make some food and break your fast and then stay up half the night. And if you're in London or anywhere north of England, you damn well better stay up all night because you're not going to get any other time to eat. Anyway, here I live in Spain, so uh, suhoor, which is the morning meal, suhoor is about 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.15. Um, and we don't break the fast until about 9.30, which is not so bad, really. But with little kids around, you can't just rest all afternoon, you know. You start the day with a lot of energy and then slowly your batteries start kind of winding down and by about, you know, mid-afternoon, you just don't want to talk to anybody, you don't want to look at anyone, you don't want to hear anybody's voices. What you can do is either watch stupid movies or possibly read a book, but preferably a stupid book or one that's just uh, comical and kind of silly or go to bed and have a long nap. Um, there's not much else that you, you're really good for. I mean, the the ideal thing is that you you know you spend those t that time reading Quran or doing some kind of um, quote unquote spiritual activity. But that's what I want to get to. This is something that is highly encouraged when you're fasting because fasting puts you in a state which means that you can sort of rise with it. You can understand to some extent better. I mean, that seems to be the experience that, that I have and. Uh, you know, a lot of people have. It's a time when you can kind of block out all of this background noise that you get with uh, digestion. Because it actually saps quite a lot of your energy. You know, after you've eaten a big meal, it's called a postprandial sort of drop. I don't know what you call it. I'm just making this up. But, you know, a, a sleep after you eat a heavy meal is called a postprandial snooze because, you know, you, you actually can't do very much if you're eating a lot. If you eat something very heavy, you need to sleep it off. And digestion kind of um, 
can hinder your ability to be aware in some way. So that kind of lull in the afternoon when your energy is quite low, but you're still just about awake and you haven't, uh, you know, you, you could potter around the kitchen, but there's no point in pottering around for three hours unless you're maybe Iranian and like to cook very long, elaborate dishes. Um, you know, you could use that to do some really peaceful meditative activity, do zikr, do some kind of invocation or rep repetition of, of the, the divine names or something like this. It can, if you do something like that, it can take you into this very beautiful, it's an almost trancey kind of a state. And it's, uh, it's especially beautiful if you go to a place where that's done regularly and you do it among other people. This is what I've found. The times when I've been able to spend those afternoons, those kind of languid afternoons, just sort of flopping out in, in a, a quiet mosque or, or any kind of space where there's other people, there are other people who are doing the same thing. You feel, on the one hand, connected to all those people. And on the other hand, you're using your time in the best way you possibly could, given the circumstances, because you, you, know, you can't go out and play basketball. Well I, well, I have done that, actually. It's not the worst way of, of uh, spending a fasting afternoon. But there's days and there's days. Some days you just don't have the energy to do anything really kind of physical. If you are doing some kind of physical activity that's repetitive... Fasting is great. You can, you know, fold laundry like a machine because you just zone right into it. Or if your job requires you to do something like that, like sewing or something like this, that's kind of um, manual and practical, but you, something that you can kind of slip into the rhythm of. You can find that rhythm really well. Also, there are loads of other activities you can do while fasting. Music, playing music. I've been finding that if I play guitar, it takes me to this other kind of world. I, th I feel like oh, I can't have the energy to sing but I can sing and I can I can focus on the songs um, in a sort of intuitive way. I guess that's probably what what's happening is that um, I'm not really thinking too much about the song and and therefore sort of slipping into it in a in a more uh, what's the word kind of a meditative way I suppose, which means that it brings me um, a lot of joy. But on the other hand. I mean, these are all really great ways of using your fasting time. But if you've got kids around who, A, don't let you sit quietly doing zikr, some kids will actually sit and do it with you, and it may be that this is a good opportunity to try, but there are some kids that just will not let you do that. You know, a two-year-old might have a nap. If you're lucky, great. But other kids, maybe older kids, um, want to be taken places. They have activities after school. My kids go to a school that they have to be driven to, so if I if they have any activities um, in the same town, they have to be driven back there again, and there's a lot of school runs and things like this. Driving is not very recommendable while fasting, especially long distances. Uh, a guy I know recently had a car accident. His wheel came off, crashed into a mountain because he fell asleep, and he just was coming back from a town 20 minutes away, half an hour away. So it didn't qualify. It didn't qualify as being, uh, you know, far enough that you can say, "Oh, I'm traveling, so I can um, not not fast today." You know, there's this. If you're not aware of these, you know, rules that state how, at what point you can say that I, I can't fast because I'm traveling. But clearly, we've got to be a bit more sensible about this because, you know, if a distance is short but it's on windy mountain roads and you happen to be very very tired and sleepy and that journey is unavoidable, well, what are you going to do? You know, you can't risk your life. That's not the point of fasting. It's not meant to harm you at all. 
it's quite the opposite. So there are other dimensions of it as well, that the drop in glucose in your body can make you really cranky. Not just cranky. I mean, I know women who actually become psychotic. Like, I, I mean, that's not even an exaggeration. I once went to visit a, a lady who had a, a Down syndrome son, and I walked in and she was beating the living daylights out of him. And, and sort of saying, you know, I really shouldn't fast. I really shouldn't fast. It, it was kind of scary, but that's, that's, the, that's what everybody is capable of, and, and we could all be pushed to that if we were given the, the conditions. So, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Um, but I can be pretty snappy when I'm, when I'm pushed to it, and fasting is one of those situations where you do become very sensitive. It's great. The sensitivity is great if you have the conditions in which you can really enjoy them. You can go out into nature and have a beautiful time, <clears throat> among you know trees rivers animals flowers you can you can really appreciate them so much more and this is something that my friends who aren't muslim and don't do ramadan type fast they do like juice fasts they also say the same thing that you know doing juice fasts for a few days you, you don't want to stop because you just get so high from it but it's a very it's a very beautiful subtle kind of high it's not like a you know taking mescaline kind of high but there's a touch of it as well because it's it's fading out all of the sort of peripheral, um, unnecessary elements of your perception. And it enables you to go into something quite deeply. In fact, you can go into it very deeply. So the trouble is for mums, who or all dads potentially, but I, I have heard this much more from mums, if you're dealing with um, a, a child or children in the afternoons, particularly after school, and especially if you've got kids who fight, I mean, that's really tough. It just, you just feel like somebody's hammering you in the head. And and for them, it's just, you know, par for the course. They don't really seem to care about it. But for the people who are kind of having to put up with it, it's, it's really, really, really testing. And, you know, the the temptation is to snap. And, you know, this is also one of the, the really useful things about fasting is that it shows you, it exposes all of your tendencies and your habits and if your habit is to to freak out at somebody and blame them and say, oh, this is all you, it's all you, you're the problem, then, you know, once you can calm down and have a bit of separation from that, um, from that thought, you know, you're actually able to go, oh, hang on a minute, is that true? Is it really my child's fault that, um, you know, they got into this kind of petty argument over how to sing Bob the Builder theme tune? Really, that's the kind of thing that sometimes you, you hear. Um, is it really a big deal? Or am I, am I making it into a big deal? Am I the one making mountains out of molehills? Um, so that's one of the really helpful things about, about fasting. But it can, it can also kind of coalesce into something that's really huge. And especially in that last half an hour before you break the fast, oh boy, it's very hard to hold it together. And then you get this feeling of guilt, that classic mama guilt, which kind of evolves and mutates and turns into something else when um, when you're fasting and it's Ramadan and you're kind of having this expectation of feeling spiritual. So this is what I've been trying to get out all this time. I can tell you, you can tell that I'm very long-winded. Um, what does it mean to be feeling this Ramadan vibe? Because you know it when you have it. Like, if you're in a community where you have 
aunties and uncles and people all around you who are, you know, celebrating together and you get together for iftars. And then if even if you're not celebrating in the daytime, you're still um, doing it together. And there's this kind of camaraderie, which is so beautiful. And, you know, people are extra kind to one another because they understand that it's, you know, maybe difficult to deal with certain situations when fasting. And so you kind of, you're just extra sort of kind and compassionate to one another. And also just you stop talking so much. I mean, I'm doing the opposite right now, but generally you stop talking so much because the, the effort kind of dries your mouth out and it makes you feel kind of a bit like, well, can't be bothered. So you can let lots of things slide, which is also probably a really good idea for general, you know, human interaction. Uh, I, th- I, I, the thing that I learned the most from fasting is just, you know, shut up, just don't talk so much. <laughs> if I don't talk, then there's not going to be a kind of riposte coming back to me, and therefore we're not going to get into an argument, and, I, you know, I can choose my battles, I suppose, is the expression. But, also, for women who are not fasting because they're breastfeeding, for example, because they're pregnant, or for whatever reason, I mean, some people have conditions that means that they can't, that mean that they can't fast, you know, they're diabetic or whatever, they're having to take med- medication during the day. Um, there can be this feeling of like oh, disappointment or I've let myself down kind of thing, um, which is, even though it's, it's through no fault of your own, it's not like you, well, unless you deliberately got pregnant on a certain time of year in order to avoid Ramadan. But anyway, whatever. Um, I don't feel there's any reason to be guilty about to feel guilty about it. But I also understand that it's very natural for people to to f- have this feeling, which is, I guess, something akin to guilt. Maybe it's not quite guilt, but it's something similar. This feeling like, oh, I, I wish I could have that that opening. And it's been closed to me temporarily or maybe permanently depends on if you have a permanent condition and and then you can kind of have this feeling of emptiness and this is something that you know you don't have to be uh, missing ramadan to have a lot of people feel this uh, just ordinarily and and maybe some people would bracket that as depression or they'd bracket that as something else they'd give it a name um but maybe it's not full-blown depression it's just a feeling of like where's this feeling gone where's that joy gone where why isn't my heart soaring why is my heart feeling constricted um i recently met a a woman who said that she was having this experience that she used to be very connected she used to feel very connected this is kind of what how she described it and um you know loved praying had felt such joy in praying and in zikr and and things like this and then at a certain point I think, I guess, because of uh, events in her life, some very serious, heavy events had happened in her life, um, she'd started feeling very numb, you know, inwardly. And was sort of beating herself up about it, you know, like, why can't I get back to that? Why can't, what's wrong with me? I've lost it. I've lost it. I've done things that have forfeited this connection that I had. And um, luckily, fortunately for her, she... um, spent some time in the company of some very beautiful people and and it came back you know and especially in the course of doing zikr in a in a circle in a group singing hadra things like this kind of helped to you know spark something again um but i guess what i'm getting at is that i question what spirituality uh, should be defined as because if you define it as an experience, like a feeling, 
you know, here I am feeling spiritual, here I am, oh, I'm feeling so spiritual. You know, there's, there's always a little bit of a danger to that because some people think that they're really spiritual and will talk to you about how connected they are and, you know, give you all kinds of pearls of wisdom and, and you know, advice. And actually you, you're wanting to stick your fingers down your throat the whole time. You know, it doesn't actually guarantee that a person is genuinely spiritual just because they feel spiritual. So maybe that feeling, it could be deceptive, potentially. No, I'm not saying that we should um, mistrust it because it's also a beautiful feeling and, you know, why not? It's preferable to have beautiful feelings than unpleasant feelings. But if we define spirituality as, you know, a beautiful feeling, then I think we're doing a disservice to spirituality. Because sometimes spirituality is constriction. Sometimes it is constricting. Um, in the 99 names of Allah in, in Arabic, you have al-qabid and al-basit. And um, there's, you know, constriction and, and opening because God is both constricting and opening. And there's a reason for that as well. So in birth, which is, as you'll see, an analogy I like to draw very often because I've found it to be something that's taught me an awful lot. You have uh, contractions, which are constrictions. They're the womb tensing. And as the womb tenses, it forces the baby downwards into the birth canal. And if it weren't for that, babies wouldn't come out. We would have no humanity. So it's pretty important, I'd say. Um, But it's not very pleasant. I mean, there are people who say that they they had, had no pain when giving birth. And, okay, I'd like to believe them, but, <laughs> you know, basically, it's painful, right? It's, it's painful. It's like having a muscle cramp in your leg or something like that, but it's a part of your body that you can't really stretch out very easily. What you can do is relax. You can breathe into it. You can sort of inflate your belly to give it maximum oxygen and space, and um, and try not to panic and try not to be afraid because as soon as you start feeling uptight and afraid you will contract you'll, you'll contract worse the muscle will have um, less oxygen and will actually be sort of tighter and that's what's painful that's the part that's painful um, I mean, obviously there's a lot there's a lot more to it than that and there are a lot of people who have had very traumatic birth experiences and I, I wouldn't want to imply that it's, you know, because they had fear or something like that. It can be a much, much bigger uh, thing than this, especially to do with your environment. I mean, if you're being surrounded by men in white coats prodding you and, you know, cutting you and sticking um, probes up you and things like this, it's really not very conducive to relaxing, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm an advocate of of home birth. But, um, you know, with the due uh, conditions and considerations... But the thing with contractions is that you have this intense pain for a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds, 40 seconds, depends on on the birth. And then you'll have this incredible rush of endorphins. There is no higher level of endorphins in the human body at any time other than during labour and immediately after labour. So people never have as many endorphins in their bodies as a mother and a baby directly after birth. After a natural birth, meaning without um, drugs that artificially stimulate the contractions. Because what happens is if you stimulate the contractions artificially, you don't have this rush of endorphins afterwards. 
which makes you feel totally blissed out and totally amazing. And it also helps you to bond with your baby. So, and, and the bliss afterwards can last quite a long time. Maybe you have 30 seconds of contraction, maybe you have five minutes of bliss. I think that's a pretty good bargain <laughs> to my mind. I mean, I'm no mathematician, but um, it sounds like, you know, you put a certain amount in, you get quite a lot out. And, um, and on top of that, you end up having a baby, which is, uh, you know, a pretty extraordinary thing. So anyway, that's all I really wanted to say for the time being. But I would love to hear what other people think about this, particularly about um, this issue of what makes you feel spiritual. Um, yeah, in my first, the first labor of my, my first child, I remember at one point thinking, oh, I, I, I was expecting to feel God. I was expecting to feel the presence of God. And then I didn't really have any feeling like a, a very distinct I had a very beautiful sort of, but a very peaceful, calm sensation. It wasn't a kind of intense, you know, epiphany, oh, this kind of thing. It was just a very clean, clear kind of, I don't even know if I should describe it as a sensation. It kind of wasn't really a sensation. And at a certain point, I remember thinking, maybe this is God. Maybe this is an experience of God. It's just that I'm not expecting I wasn't expecting it to be like that. I had expectations of it being some other way because of, you know, maybe movies or something like this that have sort of influenced me or what, you know, looking at Renaissance frescoes or something like this of, you know, God and the angels and the clouds and, you know, lightning and whatever. Um, maybe it's, it's completely unrelated to that. And because of this influence, we've actually kind of distanced ourselves from spirituality because we're expecting it to be a certain way, and maybe it's not meant to be like that. Maybe at times, yeah, but maybe not. Well, that's all for now. Thank you for listening. Bye.